All you, you brave, courageous people made it in this space today. I hope you got here safely and easily. You know, I, I'll be honest, man, growing up in a small town in Indiana and then living in Southern California for seven years, I became very arrogant about my abilities to drive in the snow. Because there are wimps out there, dude. Everything you think you know about California is true. And, you know, so I'm really proud. Yesterday we had some friends come over and... Um, to watch the game, and they couldn't pull up the driveway because they were from Florida, and I was like, let me do this for you. And, you know, I just helped them, drove it, got it stuck in the snow. It took me 30 minutes to get it out. But, you know, so I'm glad that you made it here safely, it, and be careful going home, and please remain safe going home because you don't know what could happen. If you have a Bible, uh, power it on, or turn the one in your book rack to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. As we kick off a new four-week teaching series and the theme for 2019 for our church, it's called Immeasurably More, Immeasurably More. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, this is something for a couple of months I've felt God kind of stirring in me to share, and I didn't want to share it. Because when I heard that phrase, Immeasurably More, all I heard was, oh, Great. We've been working so hard to plant a church and asking so much of people, and now we need more. And it was because I didn't understand the passage. And I want to show you that in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. In the second half of that chapter, he, he talks about we're not the one who does immeasurably more. God is. And he's almighty, and he's all-powerful, and he's in our corner, and he wants to use us in our lives. And that's at the heart of what we'd like to, to talk about today. And so if you hear that, or you go live this, and you get tired, exhausted, or overwhelmed, you're doing it wrong. You haven't understood it, just like I didn't. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Uh, as you're turning there, let me give you a little background. If you're new to the New Testament, this is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul had one time not been a Christian, overseen the killing of Christians, had life transformed, and began to start churches all over the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And he writes a number of letters, very important, uh, especially for today, that you understand this is a letter and not a chapter book. And he writes these letters to churches that he has helped start. This one most likely written in the early 60s AD, one of the last and most theologically developed letters we have from Paul. And he writes this in verse 14. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Woohoo! Here we go. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father... Why does he say that? He's halfway through the letter. See, he's in prison, and he says, although I'm here, I kneel before the Father because I know God can get me through whatever it is that I'm facing, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Literally, the posture itself, that it, kneeling down, was an act of submission to saying that I can't do everything by myself, but I know the one who can help me. Verse uh, 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, I love this part, and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Maybe that's not been your experience with church. But that should be our experience with God. 
His love is high and long and deep and wide for us. He, he loves us more than any human being ever will. It, his, our relationship with him should be our greatest relationship on the planet, more than any other relationship. And I'll show you, most of us fear that, and we shouldn't. He, he goes on to say, verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, the full measure of God in your life. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do. The word in Greek, right, this wasn't written in English. Paul wrote in Koine Greek. He wrote to them, and the word there, he is able, it, it literally is the same word he'll use in a moment, power. He has the power to, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now, today, as I talk about God using your life, filling you up immeasurably more with his power and with his strength, some of you might feel a bit overwhelmed. And you say, you know what? I have difficulty just getting up in the morning, <laughs> getting through my day, trying to survive. I can't think of anything beyond myself. Next week is for you. The idea that God, that you could even have the imagination to do immeasurably more. We're going to deal with that. But what he's saying in this passage is, God has the ability and the power to do immeasurably more. How do you measure immeasurably? You can't, right? Like, that's the whole point. You're, you're not able to even comprehend it. it. It's as if, like, say that you're thirsty and you want to fill up this glass of water in order to fill yourself up. What the passage is saying, when God fills you up to the full measure, it's as if you took this small glass and you placed it under Niagara Falls. This overwhelmed pouring out in every place in your life. When God comes in and dwells with you, it could feel a little bit like that. And yet, it's his power, his authority that can do immeasurably more, not our striving, not our working hard, not our giving more and doing all this stuff in order to please him. If you do that, you're going to get tired and overwhelmed, and you're going to be doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You don't understand that the way we do immeasurably more in our life is to fully allow God to utilize our life and be overflowing and believe that God, here's the heart of what I want to share with you, God could use someone else as much as he could use us. And that you are no one's savior. He is. I want to say that again. God can use someone else as much as he could use us, and we are no one's savior. He is. And I want to share why uh, this was hard for me and important for me. Because over the last couple of months, I I've shared this a little bit with you, but I want to share it more fully. I realized that last January, our theme for the year was unleash the Lion of Judah, right? We were going to see, take some risks again, see all that God could do in our life. And it was amazing. And we announced we're going to start a, a campus eventually in Fishers one day over the next three years. And I thought it was a great big vision for addition as we continue to multiply through church planting, through Multiply Indiana, church planting network we got to help start. There are now 10 Multiply Indiana churches. God is just at work. And in J June and July, we began to realize God may be calling us to something more than that. And we shared with you this whole vision last summer that we're going to plant four new Mercy Road churches that will all be a part of the Multiply Indiana network. They'll all be Multiply Indiana churches, but these will share the Mercy Road name, vision, and values. Well, one day we'll give away 50% of the resources uh, that comes in outside the walls of the church. 
that it will have outposts and huddles and rooted and do our discipleship process that we've instilled that we feel like is a little bit unique. And it's going to live out that mission that we've been doing. And then it hit me that as we do that, we don't want those just to be locations that become campuses long term. Our goal is that each of those in the next few years, five at the longest, will spin off into separate churches. And that we're actually multiplying God's kingdom in that way. And then it hit me, that makes me uncomfortable. And over the last couple months, I've been trying to figure out why do I feel this tension? Maybe you felt it too. Why do I feel this tension about doing that? And I realized because something was about to change in our church. You see, when we started the church, there were 12 people meeting in my house. And then we met at the school, and then we grew to like 100 people. And then we moved to this little lease building off of College Avenue. We grew to like three, four, sometimes even 500 people. And then a three-year-old church purchased this property, and we moved here just, three, just over three years ago. And today we have an average attendance on the weekends of right around 1,000 people. We, have, we had 2,167 people attend our Christmas Eve services. We have over 2,500 people who call Mercy Road their home church. But you know what was in common in every one of those steps? I was involved, and some of our core leadership in our church was involved in the decision-making. And in this next season of our life, of this church, that's not always going to be the case. It's not going to be the same people that have been running this. We're going to replicate it, believe that God can raise other people up to do that over a Michigan Road area. If you're new to our church, we purchased the former ITT building. All of you, we shared the vision uh, in, in like September, and you all raised $700,000 to purchase that facility in like six weeks. It was insane. And now we're renovating it. Anybody been over there swinging a hammer yet? Or, oh, yeah. Okay, a lot of you at this service. Okay. You need to get over there. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun right now. It's crazy what Luke and the team are doing over there. God is expanding his kingdom. But you know what isn't happening? I'm not making all the decisions over there. In fact, I'm rarely even over there. That's what we have Pastor Luke to do. And he's a location pastor. And, and then uh, Ethan Fernhaber, one of our board members, is oversees the project manager over there. And we're entrusting that God can continue to grow his kingdom. You know what's happening right now in Fishers? Our, our Fishers Guys launch team, uh, there's a larger team that has formed, and we're going to have a meeting here in the next few weeks with that. Uh, we also have a separate small search team that specializes in looking for facilities in the Fishers Guys area. And we're getting closer every week. And there's some real options out there now. And I need you, especially these next couple of weeks, to pray for that specifically. And then you know what's happening? The downtown Mass Avenue location, we signed a lease on the Athenaeum. Anybody know the Athenaeum down on Mass Avenue? Kochek Coffee right there. The back auditorium on the same floor as the Kochek Coffee. That's where the worship service will be and the kitchen check-in will be in that hallway there. We've signed the lease. A church will start there in August. It's happening. Michigan Road... Starts next week on Saturday night at this building. Don't go there. It's a mess right now. We don't have occupancy. We won't meet there until August. But we're going to start next Saturday night, 5 o'clock. It will still be a Saturday night service anybody is welcome to. But in addition to that, we're going to have more people joining that service as a part of the launch team there. I'll still be teaching some, and Eric will still lead worship there some. But uh, Luke and the team are going to begin to grow that on Saturday night. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss that next Saturday at 5 o'clock. It's really happening. All of these things are really happening. And if any one of us 
including myself, begins to feel like we can control things, you're going to feel real uncomfortable this year. This is so much bigger than any individual or any person or any one human being. God's going to do immeasurably more with people we don't even know yet. Some of you, you have been sitting in seats for uh, months or years, and now's the time. And I felt so bad. I met this awesome couple here a few weeks ago, and I saw Albert at the grocery store this week, and I, I recognized him, but I couldn't remember his name, and so I didn't say hi to him, and then I felt really bad, and then he came up and said hi to me, praise the Lord, and, and then all of a sudden I realized, man, this is why we, we need to do this, because we had that choice. Do we get bigger and do the megachurch thing, which is great, nothing wrong with that, but our vision is to multiply, to disciples, send out, and so we're sending people out, hundreds of people in four different directions, that by August at least, three out of the four will be occurring, and this church will go from one to four churches. It's going to get nuts. And if we don't believe that God can do immeasurably more in other people's lives and that it's just a few people and we work with what we're going to call today a scarcity mentality. You know what I mean by a scarcity mentality? It works like this in our individual lives. I've, I've always had this addictive habit. I could never break it. I just, I don't know what it is. I'm always going to be that way. My marriage has always been like this. There's not, I just, I, we're just going to be this way. It's never going to change. My, our, our kid is always going to be like this. We can't transform. That's never going to happen. And just believing that God doesn't have the power and the ability to transform things in our lives. And it works like this in our churches. And I'll tell you, this last few months, I've been there. And so I'm right there with you. We actually had a consultant come in and help us with this whole process. You know, one of the things I learned through that process, you know, for the risk takers in the room, that you just love risk. I always thought I was one of you because I was a church planter and like, that must be me. No, I'm a dreamer. I'm actually not a risk taker. On the scale, I, there was a few of you that were in that meeting. I actually tested like right in the middle. Do you realize this building right now that we're all sitting in, we never would have been here if I was the one making all the decisions. I grew up in a town of 5,000 people. There were 3,000 people on the Indiana side. This beautiful city, Union City, Indiana, and Ohio, there are two cities in one location. It used to be two time zones. There were more people in our church potentially than in the entire city I grew up in. My mentality is a scarcity one because I never grew up around all re kinds of resources and abilities. And so when we thought of locations, this property had sat for sale for four years. I never even considered it. It cost $2 million. That might as well have been $12 billion. And a few people said, Josh, you, you need to believe what God could do. And if we pray big, like this could, and it all happened. This next season is going to stretch us even more, man. If you're like me and you got that scarcity mentality, you're going to be hurting. Big question I want to ask you is this. How could God do immeasurably more in your life in 2019? And we're going to have to address this weekend the scarcity mentality that we as human beings want to operate in, the one that our enemy wants to keep us in. And to set the whole series up next weekend, you're going to hear about, well, I don't have an imagination for that at all because I'm just trying to get through my day. The week after that, we're going to see how that actually works, that God didn't call you to live this uh, lonely life as a Christian, that you're actually meant to live with other believers on mission. And, and that's actually where you see God do immeasurably more. Look at Ephesians 4. And then the last week, Ephesians 6, when we'll talk about that you're in a spiritual battle and the enemy wants to be destructive. So you've got to prepare yourself if you want to see God actually uh, see all this occur. And before we pray, I want to show you this real quick. If you look at this graphic, some of us, if we talk about God doing immeasurably more, when you look at that graphic, how many of you go, man, the, the, 
all of the valley there, all the scenery, that is just absolutely beautiful. That, that's what you noticed first in the graphic. How many of you started getting nervous because he was standing on the edge of a cliff? Right? And that's the tension. That's what some of us are going to live in these next few weeks. That we're asking us as a church to take a big leap of faith. And for some of you, it's going to feel like you're standing at the edge of the cliff going, oh, you're trying to kill me. No, he wants you to see what he's capable of and stop thinking that we have to control everything. What would it look like for God to do immeasurably more Niagara Falls in the cup in your life in 2019? Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just start by admitting we need you. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us in this space right here and as well as for those who are attending online in their homes right now. God, we love you. May you use us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, now I'm going to share, uh, I, I didn't share this at the beginning. I did the other services. I'm actually doing something I never do, which is I'm reusing an analogy and the passage I taught on back in September, just about four or five months ago. So a few of you may remember this, but most of you were there and forgot it already anyway. So might as well share it again. But I want to now apply it to our church, our church. You see, in verses uh, 16 and 17, what Paul says there to the church in Ephesus, this was a real church that he got to help start. They had started a riot there in the city because he told them to worship God rather than this uh, false goddess Artemis. And because of his faithfulness and boldness, this church gets started. So he's writing to encourage them, and he says, this is what it's going to take in that culture, in that society. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your what? your inner being, that it's God's strength, God's power at work in your inner being, in your soul, that is actually at stake here, and that will require to see immeasurably more done in your life. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And see, that word dwell, it literally means that he wants to live with you. He, may, he wants to make his home with you. It's like anybody sell a house recently and, you know, maybe you had a fancy realtor that came in and said, hey, get this interior designer. We got to do a little redecorating up in here because, you know, you got that painting up there and you think like dogs playing poker is cool, but like nobody wants to buy the house with that. So and you got like this real, you know, fancy contemporary love seat over here and you got this real traditional couch and you're just a mess. OK. And so the interior designer comes in and says, you, you don't you need to met, you need to change some things in here. This isn't looking right. And you go, wait a second. I love that love seat. I love that couch. They kind of communicate who I am as a person. Dogs playing poker is cool, man. Don't be removing and changing things in my life. And as we begin to rid ourselves of a scarcity mentality, it can feel like God is redecorating some things in our life, and we don't like it. So I want you to know that today in the next few weeks may be a little painful, but that's how we grow. See, the big idea that I want to share with you and that if you want to take notes together is how to rid your life of a spiritual scarcity mentality, how to rid your life of a scarcity mentality this year. And the first point I want to make might be the most important. Verse 14 began with him kneeling before his father, his heavenly father. That the best things in the history of our church have happened when we began with prayer, fasting, kneeling before our father. For this reason, I kneel before the father, he says, in verse 14, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. He literally, you know, in prison there, probably gets down on his knees in a posture of submission to the Lord. 
I can tell you this much, we're going to need some prayer this year. We're going to need some prayer. And, you know, one of the things I get asked sometimes, how did, okay, you planted a church, there are other church plants, but how did you do that losing a child? Because most of you know our story, we lost a child the first year we planted a church, as miserable as the worst thing I've ever been through. I prayed more and fasted in that year than I ever did in my entire life. Because when you become so desperate for God, you'll call out to him. The problem for too many of us in our, you know, 21st century, Western, apathetic, suburban church culture, we, we don't want to get uncomfortably close to Jesus. We're kind of good the way we are. We're not desperate for him. We just want to kind of go to heaven when we die and be a good person while we're here. But Paul is in prison and he's on his kneel on his knees before the Lord saying, I need you in my life. You're going to have to hit your knees. Some of the best things that ever occurred for me is when I get up in the morning and I hit my knees in prayer. And before I go to bed at night, I hit my knees in prayer. We're in the space today because people began to pray and fast in ways we never had before to believe that God could see all of this occur. And a church plant that was only three years old could do this. And then we had to do it all over again as we said, hey, we want to purchase the ITT facility, right? And we had to raise funds in six weeks. And we said, we're not going to start this process early. We're going to pray and fast for 40 days. We could have had longer to raise the funds, but we're going to pray and fast for 40 days. And yet God was faithful in all those steps. You got to kneel before the Father. If you want to rid yourself of scarcity and mentality, you got to stop believing you're the one that has to do everything. And so you got to go to the one who can. That's why you got to download the YouVersion Bible app, spend some time in prayer daily, connect with him, commune with him. You need more of him. He's Niagara Falls. You're going to try and fill that cup on your own every day, and he wants to fill it up. What would that look like? Number two, if you're taking notes, to be rooted in Christ's love. To be rooted in Christ's love, verses uh, 17 and 18, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, being rooted and established in love. That his love for you is so great, right? Verse 18 will go on to say it's like high and wide and deep and long and all this stuff. It's so great for you. Like you, don't, you can't even comprehend. It's overflowing for you, the amount of love and desire he has for you. But the question is, are you allowing him to be firmly rooted in your life? That's what many of you guys know, Wednesday night, we kick off our 10-week rooted session. It's kind of cool. This passage lines up right with it. This starts Wednesday night. If you're new to our church or you've been here for years, but you've never gone through rooted, we want everyone in our church to go through this. It's just a 10-week initial discipleship process. It meets on Wednesday nights. uh, Child care is provided. We will have a a five-day Bible study during the week, and then you'll come together in a group on Wednesday night and discuss what you've done. We've had people who have been Christians for decades upon decades, and they have grown spiritually from it. We have people who aren't even Christians who have grown spiritually in ways they never thought possible. And so I just want to encourage you, the sign-up sheets are going to come down the aisle way now. And if you haven't signed up yet, this is the time to do it. It's the way you will meet people in our church. It begins this Wednesday night. Uh, am I making myself clear? Maybe I should do it more. Like, you should really sign up. Like, if you don't, something's spiritually wrong with you. We're going to pray for you. No, but in all seriousness, you need to do it. You need to do it. You're going to love it, too. It's an amazing, amazing experience. And maybe some of you have been through it before, and you now need to be a facilitator uh, of one of the groups. But here's, here's the analogy I was telling you I shared back in September, and I want to reapply to our church now. 
See, the passage there says that Jesus wants to dwell with you. Uh, literally in the Greek, it's like he wants to make his home with you. He's setting up shop, right? Anybody uh, at your houses, let's be honest, uh, point to your spouse that your couch looks like this at home? Like, where are you supposed to sit on that? I don't know where the whole pillow thing happened, but like, this serves no function whatsoever, right? Like, this is literally, all these uh, pillows are from one couch at our house right now. I'm not making this up. And you know, what Jesus does, he says he wants to come and dwell with you, but for some of us, he can't even figure out where to sit down. Got so much stuff that's really important filling your life up. And when he comes into your life, it can feel a little uncomfortable. He's like, you know, like what function is this pillow really serving? Right? Was this made for like an 18-month-old? Like what? Who's placing their head on this pillow? And he takes it and he just goes, you don't need that. And then, this is where the real uncomfortable part starts. He starts sitting down, getting a little comfortable, begins to take some things. We're going to start making some of you really clean, tidy people real uncomfortable. He starts making a mess of our life. Anybody starting to have an anxiety attack right now? As I'm, yeah, I know. This is what it feels like. He comes in and he says, I want to dwell. You think you need all this? You don't need all this? You feel like your life could never function without some of the things in it right now. He says, you want immeasurably more of me in my life? I want to come in and dwell and make my home with you. You don't need it all. And as he begins to make a mess in our lives, we start feeling like, man, God, like, I wanted to go to heaven, but I didn't want you to wreck my life. Think about Paul. He's writing this from a prison cell. And yet, God will use him in that space to make a bigger impact than most of us in this room will ever make in our lives. He changed the course of human history for 2,000 years with the letters that he writes while he's there. No matter what your circumstances are, God can do immeasurably more in our life if he is so firmly rooted and so firmly dwells at the throne of our lives that it naturally pours out over into other people's lives because he's the one at work. Well, see, I was thinking about this, and over the course of this next year, some of you, when he comes in, he's going to need to do this with you as an individual, and some of these habits that you have developed over many years of adulting, you're going to suddenly realize are actually preventing you from seeing God at work more in your life. The the truth is, we don't want to get to a point of desperation because it feels like this. Think about the people in the Old Testament that saw God do incredible works, right? I mention these couple all the time. Moses saw the Red Sea part, pretty cool. But he didn't make the sea part. God did. What Moses had to do is he had to stand there with all of his relatives, the extended family, 100,000 of them staring at him, while Pharaoh's coming to kill them all. Right? Like he just had to be available and put him in a place where God had to show up. That was the only way it was going to be successful. God has to show up. Who wants to do that? That's horrible. Joshua saw the sun stand still. Amazing, miraculous thing. Of course, he had to be losing a battle in order to actually see that happen. And I was thinking about this. Uh, you remember in the Old Testament, the story of Jacob and Esau? Esau, who was the firstborn of uh, uh, Isaac, was the one that had the birthright, right? Like he was supposed to have the favor of God in his life and everything was gonna be entrusted to his family line. He gives up his birthright to his little brother Jacob for a pot of stew. Because, you know, he was hungry, and he needed to eat. 
Some of us have given up our spiritual birthright. The New Testament teaches us that if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you now are a child of the King, Almighty God that created the universe in six days. And you walk around as if God isn't in your corner and on your side. And like, okay, this life is terrible. God's got to prove himself. Go do something to impress me. Rather than going, I'm an ambassador of Christ, as the New Testament teaches, rather than going, he could do immeasurably more in my life if I simply allowed him, but I don't have to put myself in some places, claim my birthright that I'm his son or his daughter, and he's going to use me and make an impact in this dark world. But we just cast it away, because we don't want him to dwell. What we'd rather have him to do, hey, come over to the house, say hi for a second, hang out in the garage, maybe I'll come out in a little while, we'll shoot some hoops and have a good time. Because I want to go to heaven, you know, I I want to know you, but I don't... I don't want you dwelling in my life. It's what it's going to take in 2019 for God to do immeasurably more in our church. I believe he's going to have to totally reorient our lives as individuals and some of us, the way that our church operates. It can't hinge on individuals or any person in this room right now, myself included. We can't just believe that certain worship leaders are the good ones, certain preachers are the good ones, certain leaders are the good ones, certain financial people are the the smart ones. We have to believe that God is at work and he is able to do immeasurably more, but we have to first let Christ dwell so fully in our lives overflows into other people, that they see the love of Christ the way we love each other and treat each other. Number three, if you're taking notes, it says, uh, I want to say this, we have to be filled to the full measure, to the full measure of Christ. See, when you invite him in and he fully dwells, you have to attain that that full measure of Christ. Uh, Look at verse uh, 19 with me. It says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, how do you get filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Well, that's one of the things we're going to break down over the next several weeks. But one thing I just want to point out to you is this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, it defines this a bit further. And it won't be on your screen, but if you pulled that Bible out, I want you to look at it. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Because, see, we often read this as if Paul wrote a chapter book. He didn't do that. He wrote a letter. He didn't have chapters. We made those up. So we can remember him. See, in verses 11 to 13, he confirms a little farther what he means by the full measure of Christ in our life. Look at me. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You may be new to this and not understand all of that, but we've taught on this before, and I'll teach on it in two weeks, that these five ministries are the five ministries that should be represented in all churches. We, use our, we have many uh, spiritual gifts beyond those five ministries, and those spiritual gifts come together, fulfill those five ministries, and there we see the body of Christ at work. And then look at verse 13 with me. It defines it a bit further. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ that we cannot attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ by ourselves. And in an individualistic, isolated culture where many Christians would desire a relationship with God so we go to heaven when I die, we'll never see the full measure of Christ until we begin to work with other believers. We'll just be the hand or the foot or the nose or the liver of the body of Christ. We will never be the full body. 
And so getting connected with other living, breathing, sinful human beings who want to grow in their faith in Jesus is really important. And that the early church was known for its grace and mercy as they loved one another through that process. And that's what our churches today should be known for. Look, I'm telling you this because I think it's really important that you understand from the beginning of this four-week teaching series that if you want to see God do immeasurably more in your life, you have to believe it's not going to come unless you begin to partner with other believers. Because as we'll see the last week of this series, if you're going to face the spiritual battle that we face, you're not supposed to do it alone. It's one of the reasons we do Rooted. Because you're in a group together, a community together for 10 weeks. And I would say this, you may not call Mercy Road your home church, but if you consider yourself a Christian, you need to find a local church. I don't care if it's here. Find a local church to participate, have community with, to live together on mission and grow in your faith with one another, or you'll never see the full measure of Christ at work. You'll never experience God doing immeasurably more in our life. It takes other believers working together to see that occur. He goes on in verse 20, Now to him who is able through his power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So we close out our time. You know, you don't know what life is going to, what you're going to face this year in life. You, You don't. You don't know. I woke up this morning and right before the first service, I got a phone call from my wife. And she said, hey, the three-year-old Jet just fell down the steps and knocked out his two front teeth. That was a great start to the day. I feel so bad for him. I just want to be with him. But I'll tell you right now, we don't get to dictate the outcome of the story that we live out, individually or for our church. What we get to dictate is faithfulness, regardless of the outcome. And and if you go, you know, this passage in Ephesians chapter 3 is only talking about you as an individual receiving and being transformed by Christ and his power at work in your life. That's true. But if you read Ephesians 4 in the full letter, he's saying the reason he fills you up so that you could be used by other believers as a vessel to make an impact for God's kingdom, not by striving, not by stressing yourself out or overwhelming yourself. If that's what you feel, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. But because he is able to do immeasurably more, it comes out of the overflowing. All you have to do is go, what do I need to be faithful to? And what I find is that we have two people. Some of you want to just jump off the cliff real quick and you don't care how much stress. You don't prepare at all. Who needs a glider? I'll figure it out on the way. Ready, fire, aim, right? And then some of you guys so freaked out by being on the edge, you could just never, you're paralyzed with fear your whole life. And you could never do anything because you just feel like, well, I got I to gotta figure all this out first. It's going to take a leap of faith in 2019 to believe that the God created the, who created the universe is still at work, that the book of Acts doesn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It happens today if we are filled to the full measure of Christ because believers are coming together, filled up by the Lord, just going, how can I be faithful in my small role and believe God can use someone else as much as he can use me? I can give up control. I don't have to be the one to fix everything. And then I need, as others of us, I need to get up out of the seat and actually engage in a local church because I've just been sitting on the sideline for years and years and decades and decades complaining and whining about everything. What if God wanted to use whatever is in your heart to change this world, to be used with other believers? I have been convicted over the last couple of months. I need to change my mentality. That in this next season, each of us have to relinquish control 
and believe God's going to raise up other people and say, God's going to do it. And all I need to be faithful to is hitting my knees before my father, being firmly rooted and established in his love, being filled to the full measure with Christ and receiving him, studying his word, and just being faithful to what God has placed before me. And that's all you need to do as well. And if we are faithful to that, we will change our communities. And we are on the brink of something, guys and women. This church started because eight years ago, I believe God called us. I may not be a risk taker by nature, but I am a dreamer. And I believe that God called us to move to Indiana from California and start a church. And these three friends of mine from high school were going to help. And they were the first three people to join the church. One wasn't a Christian, and him and his wife sat right in the second row today. They got baptized right in that tank just right before they got married. God is at work. He has been faithful to everything that he has promised. But the prayer that we received in that moment was not a calling to plant a church in Carmel, Indiana. The calling was to plant as many churches in the state of Indiana as we can before we die, to transform a state. And it has nothing to do with a person or individuals. It has to do with the Lord. That he is able to do immeasurably more. No glass could be filled by him. It will overflow in every capacity. And so my question is, do you believe that God could transform a state? Because if we don't believe that, we put God in a box and we begin to think that we have to, that that can't happen because this, this, and this, and this. Well, yeah, it's not going to happen if we're the ones in control. But we are in a place in the season of our church for the first time. We've seen this great, healthy church happen. Let's put the slide up. I think I've got a slide of all the things that just happened in 2018. We saw uh, over 350 people give their life to Christ, 130 of them just during the Christmas season. We saw uh, over 40% of the resources go outside the walls of the church, 50% increase in huddles, 61 baptisms, the most in the history of our church, 133 through rooted, 28 outposts, that's 11 new ones just in the last five months. God is on the move. And for the first time, as we send these out in four different directions, and three by August, and one of them begins their meetings weekly next Saturday night in this building at 5 p.m., All of that is possible to begin the process of changing a state. But it's going to take us to get up out of the seats, get involved, get engaged, and some of us to relinquish control and believe God could use other people and start raising other people up to do what we've been doing, to take that leap of faith and truly believe God could do immeasurably more in our lifetime. Amen? Let's pray. God, we're going to close with where we began. That all of this is for nothing if we're not submitting to you first. And there may be some of us, if we're honest right now, uh, we have developed some habits that are keeping us from following you. We can't see you do more because we've got so many pillows on our couch of life, so to speak, and we haven't wanted you to come in and fully dwell. And maybe we're going to give that up today and believe, you know what, the, the lustful habits I've been living out, I could change. The addictive habits I've been living out, I could, I could change. Not through my power, not through striving harder, but through connecting with you more, Jesus, and through your power and authority. And then for some of us here, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and the truth is, like, you only see, like, we're never going to have enough volunteers, we're never going to have enough money, we're never going to have enough whatever it is, that scarcity mentality that the enemy would love for us to live out. And God says, he has all the power and authority. The truth, will you be faithful Will you put yourselves in a place of desperation where I have to show up or will you just be comfortable? 
So I'm going to ask you, wherever you're at spiritually, if you want 2019, it's fine. You don't have to do this by any means. But if you want to, just as an act of submission to the Lord this year, to do what Paul does and get down on your knees, just physically as an act of your posture before him of submission, I'm going to invite you just to get down on your knees in this moment. You don't have to. If you're unable to, don't worry about it. You can do it spiritually. But for me, I'm going to get down right now and just pray this with me. Not out loud. God, I I need you this year. I want to see you do immeasurably more in my life. Anything that's in control of my life that's not you, clean it out. Dwell fully in my life, in my heart. I'm yours. And then God, for us that call Mercy Road Church home, we surrender this church to you. May you dwell in our church like never before. May the book of Acts be alive yet again in this season, in this year, in our church. Use us, Lord Jesus. We fully submit to you and your plan. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.